Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you, and uh, thanks for coming. I'm going to continue my series today on fundamental truth from the Word of God. And what I'm really trying to do is take up core key subjects in the Bible and share with you truth from the Word of God. Today, the, the subject that I want to talk about is very dear to my heart. Because of some personal experience that I've had, um, this truth from the Word of God uh, stands out in my mind, and I'm sure that every one of us today can hopefully uh, relate to this subject. My subject today is unity in the body of Christ. I would say that arguably, this is the greatest need in the church today, is a call for unity. And the reason that that is so important is because I think it's later than you think. I think that we are living in a day and age where our Lord is about to return, and souls are perishing, and the gospel needs to be clearly communicated to the world, and the church at large needs to feel and sense a call for unity. The Bible teaches that there is one God, one body, the church. Bible teaches that there is one faith, and together as the saints of God, we have one mission. And that is to communicate the gospel to the world. Do you remember that um, Jude wrote his epistle at the very close of the New Testament? And he said, earnestly contend for the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. Unity in the body of Christ. I want to look at my subject under four headings. First of all, the purpose of unity. And then I'd like to look at pictures of unity in the Word of God. And I don't really want to dwell on this, but I think we need to acknowledge that in the past, there has been a disregard for unity in the church. And then I want to close today with the power of unity in the gospel, a united witness. So let's open the scriptures, and we're going to read, first of all, from John 17. Uh, I'm going to read a number of scriptures today, and I don't really apologize for that because it is the Word of God. It's probably more important than any of the comments that I will make is what the scriptures say about this subject. And as I studied for this, I was actually overwhelmed with the amount of truth that is in the entire Bible on the subject of unity. And it tells us that God greatly values unity. So let's read in John chapter 17, and we're gonna read first of all at verse three. Now these are the words of the Lord Jesus as he is about to go to the cross. Some of the last words that his disciples ever heard him say before going to the cross and dying for our sins, 
he lifted up his eyes and he prayed this prayer before the Father. Verse 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now drop down to verse 18. This is his prayer. He says, As you have sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, not just the disciples that were there at that day, but he says, I pray for them also who shall believe on me through their word. Jesus prayed this prayer in A.D. 33. He is God. He knows the end from the beginning, and he's looking down the corridors of the centuries of time into 2017, and he is praying for every single soul that will believe on Jesus Christ. What is his prayer? Prayer for the ages. That they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us. Why? That the world may believe that you have sent me. Right there is the purpose of unity. The desire of God is that every saint that believes in Jesus Christ would be one so that the world may believe the gospel. Now let's turn over to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. For I say through the grace that is given unto me to every man that is among you, that's every person, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according to the word of God. As God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For we, for as we have many members in one body, all members have not the same office. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one of you members one of another. Now let's turn over to 1 Corinthians. We're going to read in chapter 12 and verse 1. For as the body is one, here is a picture of the body of Christ. As the body is one, that's our human body, and has many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit were we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Greeks, which are Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, 
and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Now, look at verse 25. That there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. For whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. So let's flip over to Galatians. We're going to read Galatians 3 and verse 28. He says, There is neither Jew nor Greek or Gentile. There is neither bond nor free, slaves or those that are not slaves. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one. You're all one in Christ Jesus. Now let's turn to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, this whole epistle is about the body of Christ. Ephesians 2 and 14, it says, For he himself, that is Jesus Christ, is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, to make in himself of two one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in the body, in one body, by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Now let's go to chapter 4, and we see a practical note that Paul says in verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation that you've been called to with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring. That word is striving hard to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. The last verse that I want to read is in chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to read at verse 29. Actually, for connection, let's, let's read at uh, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having any spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives, even as their own bodies. For he that loveth his wife loveth himself. 
Now, verse 29, I'm very interested in. For no man yet ever hateth his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, even as the Lord, the church. And he says, verse 30, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Unity in the body of Christ. You know, I said at the beginning of my message that I want to speak on fundamental truth. I believe this is fundamental truth from the word of God. God desires unity in the body, unity amongst all believers. Why? Well, if we go back to the very beginning, we get a a very clear picture. God is one, and we need to be one. Do you remember what Moses said when he wrote the book of Deuteronomy? This is foundational truth for the children of Israel that is a core part of their entire culture today. And every Orthodox Jewish home has this verse written above the door, and they actually have this little uh, container that they put on the door. You're probably aware of that. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, it says this, The Lord our God is one Lord. And he says, This is the commandment of God, This is the ordinance of God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. He says this is fundamental. The Lord is one Lord. Then he says, teach this to your children. And then he says, talk about it in your house. And then he says, write it on your walls. Write it on the doorposts of your houses. Why? Don't ever forget this. This is fundamental truth. The Lord, your God, is one Lord. God is one. And because God is one, the children of God need to be one in unity. Do you remember that when Paul was writing his epistle to Timothy, he's reminding Timothy of the the fundamental truth of the gospel. And I love this verse. I share from it all the time. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5. He says, Timothy, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself for all. This is the gospel. There's one God. And God gave his one and only son, to come into the world, to die on the cross for your sins and for mine, and he gave himself a ransom for all so that every person that believes in him can be united to him and can be one with God. We read the words in John 17 of the Lord's Prayer as he has left the upper room and is walking to Gethsemane. He lifts up his eyes that night into the starry skies 
And it says that he lifted up his eyes to the Father and he said, this is eternal life, to know God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, the only true God. Can I ask you today, do you know God? Do you have eternal life? This is foundational truth. This is the most important thing in every one of our lives, to know God, to have eternal life, and it comes by believing in Jesus Christ. When a person places faith in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they come into the family of God. And the family of God is one in the eyes of God. I am so impressed with the words of John 17 and verse 18 to 21 for personal reasons. This truth um, resulted in me making a, a very big change in my life after quite a number of years. Because for most of my life, I didn't understand the truth of unity in the body of Christ even though I thought I did. This is the will of God, that all those who believe in Jesus Christ may be one, even as Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are one. Jesus said these words as he prayed and he lifted up his eyes into heaven and I'm sure that he's thinking about the, the, the carnage, the division, the, the atrocities of what has happened all down through the age of the church, of professing believers that have bitten and devoured one another, that have created chaos and schisms and, and division in the church, and his desire is that night that all they who believe in me maybe one, even as we are one, for this great purpose, and this is the purpose of unity, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I go out on the streets regularly, and I, I try to share the gospel. And unfortunately, there are many people that have represented Christianity in the past and have really done despite to what the truth of God states in the word of God. And there will be a lot of people that will say to me, well, what church do you go to? What denomination are you? What, uh, what, what type of Christian are you? You know, this is a man-made problem. This is something that we have created that was never the desire of God. The desire of God is that all they who believe in Jesus Christ may be one, even as he is one with the Father, so that the word of God, the gospel, the clarity of the message to the world will be a very clear, united message of the gospel of grace. And he says, my desire is that all they who believe in me may be one 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So I'd like to ask us all a question today, practically speaking. Are we, are we unified? We need to be. My heart aches when I see believers that are divided. My heart aches when I see differences of opinions that have created schisms and, and separations. That was never the desire of God. The desire of God is that there would be unity in the body of Christ. And that is the purpose. God is one, and we as the family of God need to be one so that the world may know and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna share with you today some pictures of unity from the word of God. I love this because I did a study on it and when I started to prepare for this message and looked at all the pictures in the Bible of unity in the body, it actually fed my soul. And hopefully I can be able to share this with you today. The first picture that comes to mind is the vine. Now in John chapter 15 and verse one, Jesus says, I am the true vine. You are the branches. Every single person that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal savior is a branch in that vine. The vine is Christ. And every believer is a branch. Now think of that picture. That branch receives nutrients. It receives energy. It is connected. And every single branch is connected to that vine. So also is Christ. And every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is the branch or a branch that is part of that vine. Now Jesus said in that passage, abide in me and I in you, because you cannot bear fruit unless you abide in Christ. The picture of the vine. In John chapter 10, Jesus is seeing um, the complexity of the culture of his day. There was the religious Pharisees, the leaders. There was the common Jews. And, and Jesus knew that there would be Gentiles that would believe. And the way that human nature is, we have this, uh, this thinking that, well, if this person doesn't see things the way I see it, I can't have nothing to do with them. They need to see things the way I see it. And, and the Lord Jesus is painting a picture for the ages. And he is saying, I am the good shepherd. I am the shepherd of the sheep. And he says in John chapter 10 and verse 16, there shall be one fold, one flock, and one shepherd. But the Jews would like to have been on their own company. And, and the, the common people want to be on their own over here. And then the Gentiles, well, the Jews don't associate with the Gentiles, so they're over here. That's not God's picture. That's not God's design. God's desire is there will be sheep that are not of this flock. 
However, there's going to be one fold, and there's going to be one shepherd, and it's going to be united together in Jesus Christ. That is the picture of the one flock. You remember in Acts chapter 20, when Paul is going to see the elders at Ephesus for the very last time? He gathers them together and he's praying. Remember what he says? He says, the flock for which the Lord Jesus bled. God's son died for one flock, the family of God. His blood was shed. He purchased it with his own precious blood. And God doesn't see a difference. Likely the greatest picture of unity from the New Testament is the picture of the body, the body of Christ. Now I want to say clearly that the Bible teaches that every single person that has ever believed in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior is part of the body of Christ. And God sees in the New Testament one body. Many members, all down through the ages, starting, I suppose, from Pentecost, right to the end of the church age. Every believer in Jesus Christ is part of that one body. There is a head in that body. And it's not any of us. It's not a pastor. It's not a priest. It's not the elders of the church. There is one head. And that head is Christ. Jesus Christ is the head of the body. You get that from Colossians and you get it from Ephesians. He is the head of the church. Romans 12, verse 3 to 5 is, is a great passage because it teaches that there are many members, but we are all one in that body. When you come to 1 Corinthians 12, you get the analogy of the human body. And Paul starts talking about the hand and the foot and the mouth and the ear. They're all different. All different talents. All different gifts. All different roles. One body. And it ideally is functioning together. Now, could you imagine the chaos if your brain started sending different signals to this hand to do this and this hand to do that and this foot to go here. I mean, there would be complete chaos. And yet, that's what we seem to do in the body of Christ. Well, I don't associate with these people. I'm going to do my own thing over here. And oh, no, th these guys got it wrong. So I'm not going to pay attention to them. And they don't break bread the way we do. And well, you know, they don't have this separation, so I, I, can't have any, I can't receive that person. This is chaos. God desires unity in the body of Christ. And we also, unfortunately, have created respective persons and categories and classes. Not so with God. Did you get that verse that we read in Galatians uh, chapter 3 and verse 28, it says, you know, there was chaos in some of those churches in Galatia. There was people that were slaves and there was people that were slave owners and they were in the same church. 
Same with Corinth. And there was people that were bond and free, and there was people that were male and female, obviously. There was people that were all kinds of different diversities. There was the Jews, and they were influenced by Judaism, and there was the Gentiles, and they had really weird cultural practices. But when Paul writes this passage, he says, in Christ, it is not so. There is neither Jew or Gentile, circumcision, uncircumcision, male, female, slaves, slave owners. No. In Christ, you are all one. That is God's desire. One body. Ephesians 2 and verse 14 presents to us this great truth that Jesus Christ himself is our peace. Now, folks, I want to say this. You're not going to find your peace or your fulfillment in a church. Maybe not even in a pastor or an elder or in some human relationship. Christ himself and nothing else is our peace. And when we see ourselves of having placed faith in Jesus Christ, he's our rock we heard today. He's our savior. He's our refuge. And we are all one in him. So when you read that verse in Ephesians 2, 14 and 16, it tells us clearly that in Christ, we are all the same. When you get to chapter 4, and verse 1 to 7, he is saying so clearly, there is one Lord, one Spirit, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. And then he says, endeavor to keep that. What a beautiful picture, the body of Christ. Is there any other pictures in the scriptures? There certainly is. When you read 1 Peter chapter 2, you're going to get the picture of a building, Ye are living stones placed in a spiritual house. So what does that mean? Every single person that has believed on Jesus Christ as their personal Savior is a living stone in that building. And, you know, Ken gave me a book on Robert Chapman. Absolutely amazing biography of this man. He was called the Disciple of Love. And he loved the saints of God, but he lived in an age when there was strong division. And he said this, and, and this kind of led me to some of the thoughts that I have today. He said, every single picture of the church in the New Testament is a picture that speaks to unity. Every picture. The vine, the flock, the body, the building. It doesn't say many buildings. It is one spiritual house, many living stones that all go into that building. There are not many brides. There is one bride. And this is such a beautiful thought. Jesus spoke that parable in Matthew 13 and 46. And he said these words. A merchant man seeking goodly pearls. When he had found that one pearl of great price, 
he went and he sold all that he had and he purchased it. Do you know what's so amazing? Very, very soon, our life on earth is gonna be over and life as we know it will be history. And every saved person that has trusted Christ as their savior will make up the bride of Christ, one bride in the glories of heaven forever. And there will be representation from every tribe, every tongue, every nationality. The far corners of the earth will be represented, but there will only be one bride. God sees the church, a picture, one bride. You get that so clearly in Ephesians chapter five where we have read. So also is Christ. He loved the church and he gave himself for it that he might present it to God without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, no blemish. Look at the church today from our eyes. <laughs> Are there blemishes? Oh my goodness. There's, there is carnage and division and schisms and all kinds of spots. But in the eyes of God, he sees a perfect, unified, glorious church. And he sees one bride. All the saved of all the earth from every day and age, from Pentecost right through the ages, he sees one bride. 1 Corinthians 3, he sees a temple. You know what a temple is? The dwelling place of God. It is where God dwells in you. The temple. You are the temple, the dwelling place of the living God, 1 Corinthians 3 and 16. And then he shows a picture of a loaf of bread. We, uh, we had a feast this morning. Our brother reminded us. And we were unified. And we gathered unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to remember him in his own appointed way. The night in which he was being betrayed, he took bread, a loaf of bread, a single loaf. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. And he says, take each one and partake of it. But Paul teaches another truth, fundamental truth, profound truth. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16. Sorry, verse 17. He says, we also are that one bread, and we're all partakers of it. So the symbol of that one loaf of bread is the way God sees the church. We are one loaf. We are united together in Christ. Pictures of unity in the one body. You know, if you do a study of church history, you will be amazed at the divisions and the atrocities that have happened in the name of Christ all down through the ages. And it goes right back to the very beginning. In Jerusalem, there was division in the church. Acts 15 and verse seven, they had to have a whole council. Why? Because some people were saying, no, in order for you to be saved, you gotta be circumcised. You gotta follow the law. 
And the Gentiles were saying, no, that's not right. There was division in the church at Jerusalem. The very end of that chapter, there was sharp con contention between Paul and Barnabas. And in fact, Paul and Barnabas didn't see things the same way, so what'd they do? They, they parted company. And one went that way and one went the other way. There was disregard for unity of the church of Corinth. Paul writes 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10, and his appeal at the very beginning of this incredible epistle is, I appeal to you that you be of the same mind. That's the burden of his message to Corinth. Be united. Be of the same mind. Why? Because there was party spirits in Corinth. There was sectarianism. There was carnality. There was conflict. There was some that said, well, I don't know who you're following, but I'm following Paul. Well, somebody else said, well, I'm a Barnabas. Well, somebody else said, you guys all got it wrong. I'm of Christ. And Paul says, is Christ divided? Like, what's wrong with you people? We are all one in Christ. Christ is not divided. And party spirit and sectarianism and conflict is all carnality. And he beseeches these beloved brethren, the saints of God at Corinth, to be of the same mind, to be united. What about when you go to Galatia? There was disunity over Judaism. Some people said, well, you gotta keep the law. You can't eat with the Gentiles. You gotta be circumcised. No. How about at the church of Philippi? Two sisters are in conflict. Chapter four and verse two. How about when you get to the end of the New Testament? There's a Diotrephes. Third John. And here's a man in the church that is refusing to receive brethren. Why? Because he's dominating and he wants to control things. That doesn't happen in our day, does it? Diotrephes was causing division in the church. And Paul and John said, when I go, I'm going to correct it. See, God's desire is that all the saints of God can be one in Christ. There has been a long history of church division and discord. Um, I read a book by Gene Edwards. I highly recommend this book. It's called Climb the Highest Mountain. And it's a, a history of division and controversy in the church age. And, and Gene Edwards through an experience that he had through a church that split, begged the saints of God to lay all this controversy aside and follow Christ. Climb the highest mountain. The very highest pinnacle of Christian accomplishment is the humility of Christ, is oneness with Christ. It is following God in obedience and laying aside all discord and all disunity, and loving God, and loving people, and following Christ in simplicity. You know, many, many good people, I, I can attest to this. I have people in my life that I revere. Good, good teachers. And I have heard them say that unity in the church is impossible. It will never happen. 
So don't even try to get there. I want to state clearly that the fundamental truth of the Bible is God desires unity. God has commanded unity. He desires it. Why don't we? I have been so impressed by some of the things that God hates. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 to 19. You get a list of six things that God hates. And then he says, the seventh is an utter abomination unto the Lord. Do you know what it is? He that sows division among brethren. God hates that. God hates when brethren separate and sow division and discord among the saints. So if God hates it, we should hate it also. Let me share with you as I close the power of unity for the sake of the gospel. There is one faith. There is one mission that the saints of God have in this day and age, and it is to unite together to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Satan's greatest weapon against the gospel is disunity of the church. If he can have all these little sects and, and, and denominations all on their own trying to do the work that God has called us all to do, then all of these tiny little segments are gonna be weak. But what if? What if the saints of God bind together? In the words of the Old Testament, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, confess their sin, unite together, then I will hear from heaven, I will answer their prayers, I will heal their land. God has promised that there will be a blessing. Do you know Psalm 133? Sure you know it. How good and how blessed is it for brethren to dwell together in unity. What's it like? It's like the oil, the ointment that flows down. The oil, the ointment is a picture of the Holy Spirit uniting together. And then he says in that Psalm, there he has commanded the blessing of God. When brethren and sisters, when we unite together, there is a power. There is a blessing. There is something that is unstoppable. That when we unite together in harmony and unity to take the gospel to the world, God commands blessing. We're exhorted in the word of God to strive for unity. Ephesians 4 and verse 3. Endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit. And then he says, Philippians 1 verse 27, stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Philippians 1 and 27. Paul pleads with the saints in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 2. He says, be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, one mind, do nothing out of strife or for vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than himself. 
How is it possible that unity will be realized in the church? Well, I think it comes with humility. And I think it comes with grace. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, we read these words, that every man ought not to think of himself more highly than he ought. We're all the same. With God, there's no respecter of persons. We are all the same. Brought into the family of God, we are just sinners. Saved by the grace of God, nothing to boast of. With humility and with grace, there can be unity. And I just want to close by this. I want to take you to the cross. And I want everyone in this meeting today to think about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what it says? He is God. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he humbled himself. And he became a man, a servant. And he became obedient unto death. And then it says, even the death of the cross. You know, maybe I'm speaking to somebody today and you, as of yet, do not know Jesus Christ. Maybe you're not in the body. Maybe you're coming to this church and we're glad to see you. I want to ask you a question today. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you repented of your sin? Have you come to appreciate the great value of the cross? Folks, God loves you. In spite of your sin, God has provided a ransom, forgiveness, at the ultimate cost of giving his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And when we were yet sinners, he died for us. Folks, God loved you and I enough to take our place, to humble himself, to take his, our sin upon himself. And him who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Everything that we have in Christ has come by grace. Undeserved kindness. Nothing that we ever merited, we have nothing to boast of. And everything that we are comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Folks, you can be brought into the family of God today. And as I close, I just want to invite every person in this meeting to be honest with God. Think of yourself, your life, your sin, and confess your sin to God. You don't need to confess it to anyone else. And understand that by faith, when Jesus died on that cross, he died for you. And the Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, today, and you'll be saved. You'll be brought into the family of God. You'll be one with all the children of God, and when life on earth is over, you'll be part of that one bride that will sing the praise of God for all eternity. What a blessing it is today to be part of the family of God. 
And I trust that every one of us will be blessed as you leave this place today and you think about this, unity in the body of Christ all because of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the word of God. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who humbled himself, became a man, and though he was God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but became obedient to the death of the cross. We thank you that God has highly exalted him, raised him up, and given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the scriptures that you have brought to bear upon our hearts today. And we just pray that you would bless us and keep us united, that, Lord, we would be able to be one with God, one with Christ, and that we would have one message for the world, that the world may believe that you sent the Lord Jesus to die for us. And so we just ask you to part us with your blessing and thank you for this time together. We ask it all and give thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.